The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. All right. Now, you may think it's just another um, miserable, rainy uh, Wednesday in the city, but right now you can make a decision to go back to school, to master dancing or singing or take control of your finances or learn to fly a helicopter. If you truly decide, you can do almost anything. So if you don't like your current relationship uh, that you're in, make a decision to change it now. Uh, If you don't like your current job, change it. Advice from Anthony Robbins and uh, from his book uh, Awaken the Giant Within or Awake the Giant Within, written in 1991. Anthony Robbins, his life was a mess and then he discovered a mental power that enabled him to, well, let me tell you his own words. He says, I use this power to take control of my physical well-being and permanently rid myself of 38 pounds of fat. Through it, I attracted the woman of my dreams, married her and created the family I desired. I used this power to change my income from subsistence level to over a million dollars a year. I moved from my tiny apartment, where I was washing my dishes in the bathtub because there was no kitchen, to my family's current home, the Del Mar Castle. It's an understated um, little building uh, in California, complete with parapets. And uh, should you wish to go and see Anthony Robbins or learn from him, um, his uh, conference is on in September in just a few weeks' time. You're hungry for something and you won't settle for less, the competitive edge, the will to win, the drive to overcome any obstacle, whatever you call it, winners find a way. Bring your checkbook. Uh, The um, most expensive tickets across the three days are $3,700 and just standard walk-in, $995. Anthony Robbins is the self-actualised man. Uh, the, net, the internet tells me he's worth $480 million. Uh, he's, he's doing well. He's reached his full potential. Anthony Robbins is part of a, uh, a whole industry of people that uh, I guess out there in the net it's called the, sel- um, the self-help industry. Huge, um, huge industry. And I guess what they're selling is self-actualisation. What's that? Well, the achievement of one's full potential through creativity, independence, spontaneity and a grasp of the real world. It's really realising your full potential, self-actualisation. The the phrase first became popular uh, with Abraham Maslow. Here he is, uh, uh, the psychologist. Um, And his... um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You, sorry, I did it again. I keep mixing up Pavlov and and his dogs and Maslow and his. We'll end up with dogs that are self-actualised. Anyway, sorry, Maslow, not Maslow. Anyway, his hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you can see that there. Um, the idea is that as you go higher up the triangle, you, you need to build on those needs. So at the bottom, physiological, you've got to have air and food and water and then then safety and security and after that belonging, uh, love, self-esteem and finally self-actualisation, morality, creativity, spontaneity is really um, realising your potential. 
as I've read a little bit about, I'm no expert, as I've read a little bit about the whole self-help, self-actualisation thing, it began in uh, early 20th century, one of the most famous books, How to Win Friends and Influence People, uh, authored by Dale Carnegie, is, is still in print. And what I've found out is the self-help industry uh, is worth about $12 billion per annum. And there's something like 45,000 titles uh, in print at the moment. Books, DVDs, courses. And depending on how you classify it, some of the stuff is quite serious and, and, and very useful. Like, for example, I saw one, one list of the 50 best self-help books and they had Jim Collins' Good to Great. It's actually quite a good book about management and, and leadership. Uh, and it ranges across to those who I could only say... Uh, charlatans, uh, but uh, and I've got a beauty for next week, but I won't. I won't spoil my own thunder. Uh, why is it that these things are so popular? Well, you say, in one sense, it's harmless. In another sense, well, there's a psychiatrist uh, called Stephen Breers from the UK uh, who's written a book. He's the author of the book Psycho Babble, um, exploding the myths of, se- of the self-help generation. He did an interview in 2013 where he, he, point, or he tries to put his finger on why is it that this kind of self-actualisation, this self-help, reaching your potential, why is it this whole industry has grown up around it? Where does it come from? Listen to what he said in the interview. This is on the Female First website, 2013. Stephen Breeze. When it boils down to it, most self-help books address some pretty basic drives like stop it hurting, Give me what I want. Make me more powerful. We're being taught increasingly to see life as a series of problems to be solved. And at the same time, while our expectations of ourselves grow even higher, we're also more insecure about ourselves than ever before. We therefore become easy prey for those who offer us technologies of change and transformation, promise easy answers to the big questions, and who can give us back some sense of control in an increasingly complex an unpredictable world. Last week I was talking about anxiety and the fact that something like 14% of Australians will have some kind of anxiety disorder that affects their functioning in a year. So one in six each year have something going on at the level of anxiety. One in six visits to a GP is anxiety related. Um, Then Stephen Breers is asked, what do you think is the best seller or the biggest driver of self-help books? He says this, in a word, fear. Fear of not being good enough, fear of being out of control, fear of being unhappy. All of these are perfectly valid things to want to avoid, but I think we should be asking what's gone wrong with our society that we spend so much of our life in a state of anxiety. What he's done is he's also written the the five myths, the five myths of the self-help industry. So here they are. The root of all your problems is low self-esteem. If you just think more of yourself, things will get better. Uh, You can control your life. Uh, He says actually believing that you can control everything about your life is what actually leads to anxiety. Uh, You can never be too too assertive. This easily tips over into actually manipulating other people and pushing people around. Uh, You should uh, let your feelings out. Uh, he says there's a, there's a thin line between being emotionally expressive and emotionally incontinent. Uh, though his words, not mine. And then uh, we must strive to be happy. I don't 
I don't have time to talk about the happiness thing, but you might think about that. Now, opinions vary about whether or not the self-help industry, all these books about self-actualization, whether or not they're, they're useful or harmful. I guess it depends on which part of a huge range of books and resources you're looking at. And what I think is a pity and what, what I'm sure is wrong is when people take this idea, this promise of you and your potential and how to get it, and, and say that that's what Christianity is about. And so I'll just stick my neck out here. Joel Osteen, who um, uh, has, I'm told, the biggest church in America, and uh, his book, Your Best Life Now, has sold five million copies. I'll tell you what his seven points are. And I need to be honest, I have not read this book. My life is too short to read this. Uh, I've read a review of it, all right? I, uh, what do I know? Okay. Um, his first point, though, enlarge your vision... Uh, then second point develop a healthy self image in fact he says if you're a Christian then you're a child of God uh, you need to demand preferential treatment in the world Uh, then um, discover the power of your thoughts and words let go of the past find strength through adversity Um, uh, live to give and finally choose to be happy Now, you take those seven points, and I just thought if you compare those to the five myths of self-help, they're very, very close. What's going on? Well, the man who has read this whole book, let me give you a a review. One of the pastors, an American pastor, uh, Greg Gilbert, says this. First, even if you take Austin's book for what it really is, one more self-help manual focusing on the power of positive thinking, it simply doesn't work. Thinking highly of yourself is not a pathway to success. Most of the time, it's a pathway to having your office colleagues talk about you behind your back. You don't believe me? I like this, but he says, then try this. The next time you go into the office, try Austin's tactic of demanding, quote, preferential treatment because you're a child of God and see how far it gets you. There you go. If you're a Christian, I know we're not all Christian, but if you are, try that when you go back to the office, see how it works. He says, more importantly, though, it should be noted clearly and widely that this Uh, that there is nothing Christian about this book. Yes, Austin talks about God throughout it, but it's not the God of the Bible he has in mind. Austin's God is little more than the mechanism that gives the power of positive thinking. There is no cross, there is no sin, there is no redemption or salvation or eternity. Even Jesus himself is mentioned only two or three times in the book. Now, Christianity, as Jesus taught it, is fundamentally different to that. Um, Over these four weeks, we've been working our way through four hard truths. Uh, Actually, I was going to say stole them. I I didn't steal them because I asked permission. Uh, At the bottom of your program, you'll see uh, there's a URL that you can look up, or if you want a copy of this article, Russ has got some at the back afterwards, five hard truths that will set you free. Uh, because I don't control the roster, I only got four, but anyway. Uh, this week, your life is not about you. So you can see, we've, we've worked through last week, you're not in control. This week, your life is not about you. Next week, you're not that important. And in two weeks' time, we'll do you're going to die. So come along, it'll be fun. Now here's, the, here's what I... See, I love the irony of these things. Jesus taught all of these truths, or teaches all of these truths. And at first you think, oh, that that doesn't sound like a good day out. 
but once you actually embrace what it is that Jesus is saying, there's a huge upside. That's why this man who wrote the blogs called it Four Hard Truths That Will Set You Free. And, and true, they do. So let's have a look. Uh, each of these truths is kind of counterintuitive. I'm going to read now part of the Bible where Jesus teaches about what it means to follow him. And, and here's, here's the, the twist that I like. Jesus is not in the self-actualization business. He's in the self-something business. Not self-actualization. See if you can pick what he says uh, in this Bible passage. Uh, it'll be in your hand in the program or it's on the screen. Then he, Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. In the context in Mark's gospel, his disciples, Peter and others, have just worked out that he's the Messiah, God's great king. And so the question is, what will it mean to follow God's king? What will it mean to follow God's Messiah or Christ? And Jesus says to them, to do that is not about self-actualization; it's about self... Anyone pick it? Denial. Self-denial. Think, oh, that's, that's not going to sell. That, that's not going to sell five million copies. That's a... Actually, it's sold millions and millions and millions because people have understood what he means. Let's have a look. You see verse 34. He says, deny themselves. It's the same word, exactly the same word as used by each of the Gospels. You may have read the story where Peter denies knowing Jesus. Jesus says to him, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows, before the sun comes up. And, and eventually Peter does that. He says he denies that he knows Jesus. He says, no, I don't know him. And what Jesus is saying is if, if you want to follow him, if you want to be a disciple or a Christian, it's a matter of saying no to self. No to yourself. And then take up your cross. In the ancient world, or in the Roman world, what the Romans used to do is to make the condemned criminal carry the crossbar of his cross through town on the way out to crucifixion. Why? Well, to put, not the fear of God, but to put the fear of Rome into the population. And it was really a way of saying, this man's life is over. And Jesus is saying, say no to self, take up your cross. The idea of count your own life, your own agenda, your own thing as over. And if you notice the last little bit, he doesn't say, take up your cross and go that way. He says, take up your cross and follow me follow me because he's leading the way he's about to go and lay down his life to die on the cross for others so what's he saying I, I think to try and put another way he's saying if you want to follow him if you want to go with him you've got to say no to our natural tendency to put ourselves first um, it happens doesn't it? every time you hear someone say oh well you've got to look after number one who do they mean You've got to look after me, right? number one. And what's Jesus saying? I think he's saying you've got to say no to our to our own our own comfort, our own ease, our own pleasures or greed, our own plans, time, money, and and put him first. And then the first thing that he'll do is direct you to other people. 
to, to care and love and, and, and care for them. And the question is, why would you do that? It, it's, I think that, that's really kind of counterintuitive. Well, he answers that in the very next verse. See verse 35. Forever, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What does he mean? I think he means if you, if you, we, if we make our life all about ourselves, if selfishness is the rule we live by, and that it's it's us and me and the and and the preciousness of our life, our life begins to shrink down. I mean that was the theme in um, Lord of the Rings, wasn't it? All right, so uh, Schmeagel finds the ring and it's the precious and every and then all of a sudden that becomes so precious and and then he turns into Gollum. Actually, my kids say I look a bit like Gollum first thing in the morning, but I think that's a bit, it's a little bit tough, right? A little bit tough. What's he saying? That you, you, you it's, it's me, it's my life, it's all about me, I'm a, and then your life will shrink down. In fact, it'll cost you your life now and, and in eternity. Now, folks, isn't that, isn't that right? That the way that I, it's kind of, it's a beautiful irony in a way. The way that life works, the more selfish you are, the more your life shrinks. And the more you're ready to give your life away, the more life grows. So I remember talking, uh, I was talking to a man, an older man, uh, who's, who's quite alienated from his family. None of his family have time for him. It's, it's, it's pretty sad. And uh, I was trying to think of a way to, to help with that. And I know he's... Um, uh, his family doesn't live too far away and he's got a grandson who's a really good sportsman, plays cricket. And I remember saying, well, what, why don't you go and watch your grandson play cricket and, and you'll be able to just spend time with the family you know, while, while he's playing cricket. And the man said, what, eight-year-old's cricket? The, the standard would be hopeless. Why would you want to go and watch that? And I thought, I, I think I begin to see the nature of the problem here. It, you're just not understanding about giving and... And Jesus is not a self-help guru because Jesus says before God we're helpless. Don't help yourself, we're helpless. And all we can do is come and ask for God's, God's mercy and forgiveness that Jesus won at such great cost. You see what he's saying? That real life's found in, in losing your life. You hold it, you'll, you'll ultimately you'll give it to him, if you like, or lose it to him You'll find life for him and, notice the end of the verse there, and for the gospel, for this message. You'll find real life in serving him and the first thing he'll do is send you out to serve others. Now, I think we've got time. Where's Lachlan? We've got time for a little bit, another couple of minutes? Okay. So I just want to show you one really concrete example of what Jesus says is about kind of giving up your life and what it would mean to follow him. See on the program the very next story that I've got there in Mark chapter 10. Uh, I'll have to be quick with this, but we'll push through. And you, you might like to read it yourself later. James and John come to Jesus asking, well, actually Matthew tells us their mum brought them along. Um, that's another part of the story. That James and John come to Jesus asking for the best jobs in the kingdom that he's about to set up. Because they're thinking, well, Jesus is the great, God's great king. He's going to kick out the Romans. He'll set up a world government and we could be, you know, the minister for finance and the prime minister and they want the best. And Jesus says, you do not know what you're asking. 
And then look at verse 42. He, he tells them, or he shows them, they really don't understand yet. Jesus called them together, the disciples, and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Saying the, the way that the world works outside of his kingdom, the way the, the, the Gentile world works is this, that those with authority rule for the benefit of themselves. And they lord it over the people they have authority over. He said, this is not the way it's to be with those who follow him. Verse 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. So it's not wrong to want to be great, not wrong to want to live a great life, but greatness is found in the service of others. Now, um, it, it's kind of counterintuitive. Well, sorry. Even for those that you have authority over, the follower of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus, should be serving the ones that he or she has authority over. It's very easy for us to take that for granted and, and to not see how radical that is. Because we've grown up, or if you've grown up in this society, it's kind of the air we breathe. It's just assumed. I had a. Yeah, I've got time. Had a little insight into that just this last weekend. There's a, there's a man who's from China, growing up there, and, and he's here in Australia and learning English and wanting to find out about Christianity, reading the Bible, reading a whole lot of books, trying to get a handle on what Christianity's all about. And over the weekend, he said, he said to Kathy, my wife, and then I've talked to him about this, something that really surprised him uh, when he was a tourist in England. In fact, he used the word shocked. Uh, he'd been to Windsor Castle and uh, had a tour around the Queen's residence, etc., the Queen Elizabeth. And he said the tour guide told him that during the Second World War, when the royal family was in Windsor Castle having, having dinner together, um, there was a bomb dropped not far from the castle. And so the whole royal family, Queen Elizabeth would have been a teenager at that time, um, George VI, the king, uh, the whole royal family, I'm sure it wasn't a rush at all, but they, uh, they got up and they went down, they finished their dinner in the basement, and all very proper. And then he said what really shocked him was the royal family got into a car and drove the 20 or so miles into the south end of London and inspected the damage that the bombing had caused and helped people with morale. They put themselves on the line to help people. And he said he was genuinely shocked. Why? Because... Um, well, he, he quoted in, the, in China in the history in the Qing dynasty, and he wasn't exactly sure when, you know, end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, when one of the European powers invaded the city, the whole royal family got up and left straight away. And he said, I, it, it's, the idea of the royalty serving their people is very strange to him. And uh, he said, to, to quote him exactly, he said, it's like... In England, the royal family thinks of the people as like their children and they try to help them. I said, uh, yeah, how would it be any different? He said, no, no, in China, the people are thought of like grass. You just cut them any time you want. I said, no. You see, if you grew up here in this system, in our world, you just take it for granted that the royal family would stay and help with morale and, and put themselves at the service of the people. Why? Because Jesus' words have had a profound effect on our society. Um, 
Now, when it comes to just day by day, for those of us who aren't royalty, which is probably most of us, uh, serving people is not very glamorous, is it? You go back to work and you try and put yourself out for your colleagues if you're a follower of Jesus, or at home, or you know, with your kids, or your parents, or brothers, or sisters, or neighbours, or who. It's never glamorous. Why would you do it? You see verse 45, the last bit in that quote? For even the Son of Man, Jesus' way of talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The answer is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can serve others too. Why? Because of the the great example of Jesus. That's what he came to do for us, to the point of giving his life so that we might be forgiven. And you see how that's so, so different to the self-actualised generation and a world that says it's all about me, me, me. And yet Jesus says, that's the way that we'll find life. Lachlan, we're in your hands. Thanks, Al. Uh, just while people sort of maybe form up their questions or start to SMS them in, uh, to, can people have a problem with low self-esteem or, or is that sort of the wrong way to think about it on, on the Bible's Um I think the Bible... There's a number of different things. The Bible says that, uh, that humanity is of great worth uh, because we're made in the image of God. Okay? Uh, if you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus, the Bible says you're of great worth. Why? Because God paid the life of his son to bring you to himself. So we're of huge worth. But at the same time, Romans chapter 12 says, think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, be realistic about yourself as well. So um, uh, self-esteem, yeah, I, I, think, I think Jesus would say, be more concerned about serving him than particularly worrying about ourself and our self-esteem. You belong to him and really serve him and I think your self-esteem takes care of itself. Now, I could be wrong, but that's, that's what I'd say. So is it possible to get denying yourself wrong? Um, so sometimes if I deny myself, I'll, you know, I'll feel good and proud of myself, I guess. Um, other times I might feel guilty if I keep things to myself or I might feel resentful when yeah. I'm asked yes. to keep more. Okay, okay. Um, the normal way we're wired up as people is our feelings go up and down, up and down. Uh, but the Bible teaches that our relationship with God, for those of us who follow Jesus, our relationship with God isn't dependent on just how well we're going on a particular day or how we feel. That you trust Jesus, God's forgiven you, God's got hold of you, God will look after you, God will bring you to the promise of eternal life. How we feel will go up and down depending on what's happened in the day, how, that kind of thing. And so what does it mean to deny yourself? It means ultimately that we'll, that we'll trust him. See, there's different ways of saying it. Jesus will say here, um, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Put, put his agenda first, put our own, uh, our own desires behind his. But in another place he'll say, seek first his kingdom. And that is that, that Jesus that Jesus is in charge and other people will understand that, that, that um, uh, we'll live by his values. It's just different ways of looking at it. Okay? And so, yeah, sure, our feelings go up and down, up and down, uh, but our relationship with God belongs to... Once we've, once we've trusted him, as we follow him, we're not kind of, if you like, in and out of God's good books or bad books. He says he's, he's got hold of us. 
Um, it's a little bit harder in the hypothetical. It's worth, if you're struggling with that, if you want to follow Jesus and you're struggling with that, have a talk to somebody who's been a Christian a long time and just kind of talk that, talk that through about what it looks like day by day. When I said deny yourself too, it doesn't mean, it's not asceticism. Now, asceticism is the idea that somehow denying yourself physical pleasure uh, or making yourself miserable is what God wants. So, you know, some people will, you know, flagellate themselves. Others will say, oh, you've got to wear terrible, uncomfortable clothes, eat, eat terrible food, don't eat meat, don't drink alcohol. It's not what it says, and the Bible's not like that. The Bible says you should be able to enjoy the creation, enjoy the good things God's given us, enjoy nice clothes, good food, enjoy wine if you want it, meat, food, all of those things. Enjoy that. But you need to be able to put what you do and how you do it at the service of Jesus and the service of others. The Bible says both of those things. So deny yourself is not asceticism. So enjoy the good things God's given, and at the same time, in the way we treat others, in what's really important... That's okay. Thanks, Alan. Uh, the recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.